Welcome, everybody, to the Fretzelmania podcast right here on Wrestle Addict Radio, the cure for the common wrestling podcast. Follow us across all of our social media platforms at addict underscore wrestle. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Fretzelmania. That's F-R-E-T-Z-L-E mania. And today I'm going to be reviewing the first Survivor Series from 1987 featuring this man's theme that you're hearing right now, the Honky Tonk Man, and several more. After that, I will be predicting this year's Survivor Series card and giving you my least fave five Survivor Series teams. Call this a, a reverse fave five, if you will. And of course, like every week, I will cap off the show with my Game Changer of the Week. So I'm going to set the stage for you here. It is 1987. November 26th, 1987, to be exact, in the Richfield Coliseum in Richfield Township, Ohio, in front of 21,300 fans and the tagline here is the biggest event since wrestlemania 3 with only about one third of the actual audience just a couple of notes about the pop culture we had here uh i was three years old in 1987 and uh coming out on the nintendo we had the first of this game Yeah, and if you can't, uh... <laughs> yeah, and if those uh, sounds don't give you goosebumps like it did <laughs> for me, then you're probably too young for me. Speaking of, of video games as well, we also saw the first... Legend of Zelda on the Nintendo, at least on uh, American shores around 1987. I don't have concrete release dates for the video games at this point in time, but yes, The Legend of Zelda, my all-time favorite video game franchise, kicked off in around this time. Full House made its debut on TV, and I hate that show with a passionate hot rage. <laughs> um... The schmaltzy family is, ugh. And it doesn't help that uh, one of my exes loved that show. <laughs> and you can see why I do not like Full House. Uh, Full Metal Jacket was in theaters. It's a Stanley Kubrick movie I still haven't seen. There's a lot of great movies that I haven't seen. And I'm not about to tell you all of these because I will probably get hate tweets from you all from it, but... Yeah, Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket, the only other Kubrick movie I think I've watched was The Clockwork Orange, and that was all kinds of effed all the way up. Uh, and Tiffany's I Think We're Alone Now was topping the charts, and yeah, that made me feel a little bit old. Uh, I think 87, um, man, so that might have been the year you were born, so I can kind of relate to this. Now let's uh, make a little quick trip here to WCW. I mean, no, NWA, Jim Crockett Promotions. This was pre-Turner era wrestling and actually airing on the exact same night on pay-per-view was Starcade 1987, Chi-Town Heat, the fifth annual Starcade event, which... Uh, was actually pretty darn good. I might have watched this on the network. I know I've gone back in, into the Wayback Machine and watched some uh, 80s era NWA. Uh, I, I might not have exactly seen this one, but uh, the results for this one are Eddie Gilbert, oh, rest in peace, Larry Zabisco, and Rick Steiner with Baby Doll wrestling to a 15-minute draw with Jimmy Garvin, Michael Hayes from the Freebirds, and Sting with Precious. Dr. Death Steve Williams retained the UWF Heavyweight Championship against Barry Windham. The Rock and Roll Express defeated 
The Midnight Express of Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane with Jim Cornette in a Skywalkers match. No, this did not involve kissing your sister or having a lightsaber duel with your father. No, this was a scaffold match, and I believe this was the match where Jim Cornette took the bump off the scaffold and blew out both of his knees. A unification match for the NWA and UWF World Television Championships. We had Nikita Koloff, the NWA TV champion, defeating Terry Taylor, the UWF TV champion, who was accompanied by, oh, once again, Eddie Gilbert. So the UWF Television Championship started out in the Mid-South Television Championship in the early 80s. This was part of the Universal Wrestling Federation kind of a rebrand here of Bill Watts' Mid-South, who I think they merged with the NWA in the 80s. I don't really know. Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, you know, that team also known as the Brainbusters, accompanied by James J. Dillon. So this was right at the Four Horsemen era kicking off. Defeated the Road Warriors by disqualification to retain the NWA World Tag Team Championship. And in a steel cage match for the United States Championship, Dusty Rhodes defeated champion Lex Luger to become the U.S. Champion. And in the main event, in another steel cage match, we had Ric Flair with James J. Dillon defeating NWA World's Champion <sighs> Rugged Ronnie Garvin, or as OSW Review so kindly put him, Rubbish Ronnie Garbage, one of the worst world champions in the history of pro wrestling, and I am including Jinder Mahal in that category. I actually like Jinder. He's Canadian, so by Canadian law, I, I, I gotta have a little bit of love for him. And I'm also the kind of jerk that loves something because everybody hates it. <laughs> I, I, I'm that guy. That might explain why I don't have any friends. <laughs> I also found it funny that uh, Starcade called this Chai Town Heat, you know, in Chicago. And Heat would be the tagline for WrestleMania 13 in, you guessed it, Chicago, Illinois. Now, here we are back in Richfield, back in the WWE. Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura on commentary, so you know this is going to be absolute gold. I prefer Monsoon and Heenan from this timeline, but Ventura was also really, really good at antagonizing Monsoon. Not to the point of, will you stop? And all that, but yeah, Ventura was great at not only really siding with the heels and admonishing the baby faces, but there was a lot of times where his commentary that put over the heels, he actually made some good points. And he was right off of a, a movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger at this, because they were referring to this on commentary throughout the night. He had just been in Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, as Blaine Cooper. That's also on the long list of movies I haven't watched. That, or I watched it when I was a kid, and I don't remember a darn thing from it. So here we are, kicking off the first ever Survivor Series. You know, Monsoon and Ventura go over the rules of this. It's an elimination tag match. When you're eliminated, you're sent to the back. If you're in a tag team, that's going to be featured later on in here, uh, the whole team is sent to the back. So we have the Honky Tonk Man captaining a team with King Harley Race, Outlaw Ron Bass, the Mighty Hercules, and Dangerous Danny Davis, you know, the crooked referee turned wrestler, accompanied by Bobby Heenan. I believe Jimmy Hart was in here because wasn't Jimmy Hart managing the Honky Tonk Man? I can't remember. But yeah, Heenan here was managing Harley Race. All the heel managers, they came out at various points in this in this uh, night. And the Macho Man Randy Savage with Ricky Steamboat, Jake the Snake Roberts, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Now, 
all these feuds throughout 1987 were were intertwining so that's obvious here that they come to a head at survivor series and this is a hot open the crowd is all in for it they popped for everyone randy savage i think got a bigger pop than maybe hulk hogan that night holy crap and the first thing i notice when i watch this is a look at all those big poofy perms by the ladies in the audience and mullets everywhere just kentucky waterfalls all throughout richfield ah oh, man the mullet <laughs> my buddy hamill up here uh when he was in college uh, <laughs> uh, hamill if you're hearing this shout out to you buddy i hope you're doing well <laughs> he got the if you all know who patrick kane is of the chicago blackhawks you know there was a time where patrick kane grew this amazing mullet i mean it's nowhere near as good as like you know eddie guerrero's was but holy crap <laughs> and he, he did this to just antagonize people because john's that guy He's that kind of guy. I think that's where I got some of my jerkiness from. <laughs> Love you, buddy. Hope you're doing good. Yeah, the mullets were everywhere. So I don't do shot-for-shot, shot, hardcore, in-depth reviews of this. I'll just go, like, some spots here and there. You know, Nate and I, back when, you know, when I did the Game Changer with Nate. Love you, Nate, by the way. Um... We would always go in depth with these pay-per-views. Like I think this would have been one that had he still been with with WrestleAddict Radio that I would have picked this one. So yeah, this one's for you, buddy. Uh, Brutus Beefcake just hip tosses everyone. You get a hip toss, and you get a hip toss, and you get a hip toss. And as soon as they see Jake the Snake, just the crowd instantly, like a Pavlovian response, they're chanting DDT. Jake was over as rover why did he never get the intercontinental title no offense to like ricky steamboat and ultimate warrior and all them but man like jake could have had a transitional run uh, man i can't speak my tooth is still left at least i'm not in pain um <laughs> a transitional run with the championship maybe in between two long-ish runs with the honky-tonk man instead of honky-tonk getting like a 13-month run with the title but that would also mean Santino Morella would never give us the hunkometer. And yeah, 14 months. Yeah, Santino made it like six weeks. <laughs> that was funny. I would have actually liked Santino to uh, to break that record. <laughs> it it would have been kind of funny. And then everyone takes turns killing dangerous Danny Davis because, again, crooked referee. I think he was that guy that helped the Hart Foundation beat the British Bulldogs for the tag titles in, like, January of 87. Yeah, yeah, he, he was that guy. He stuck around for a little bit. I believe he did some stuff in OVW or, or FCW when he retired. Uh, Steamboat uh, keeps getting thrown to the outside, but every time someone throws him to the outside, he skins the cat. Then we have Jim Duggan and Harley Race having what OSW, again, shout out to them, calls the Jim Duggan special, count out and brawl in the back. We see Brutus Beefcake with a high knee eliminating Ron Bass. When Brutus was called the booty man, he also called his finisher the high knee. High knee, get it, get it, get it, but... <laughs> Honky Tonk Man's selling the atomic drop is only rivaled by Rick Rude. And I think there's an account on Twitter that is just literally Rick Rude selling atomic drops. That is a wrestler that was gone way, way too soon. Man, Rick Rude was so good. Honky was basically vibrating in the middle of the ring after he took that, that atomic drop. I want to know what it would have looked like if he took Bob Backlund's atomic drop back in the day. Because that was Backlund's finisher... Uh, along, of course, with the cross-faced chicken wing when he had that four- or five-year run with the title pre-Hogan. Uh, a shake, rattle, and roll, neckbreaker eliminates Brutus beef, Beefcake, give the assist to Danny Davis, who gave Brother Brudai a little knee to the back when he got Irish whipped, and then, of course, the said neckbreaker, and here we go. Danny Davis gets DDT'd, and he's gone. The crowd goes banana. 
for the DDT. Uh, Steamboat gets some offense in on Honky Tonk Man. A little bit of revenge because uh, it was Steamboat who Honky Tonk Man defeated to start off his historic reign as the Intercontinental Champion. And Steamer must uh, reverse rotated the the uh, analog stick in No Mercy and did Honky's dance. By the way, No Mercy is 20 years old. I think today, the day I'm recording this on November the 18th. If not, it's the day before. Uh, speaking of No Mercy, uh, the last Sunday of this month, I will have the latest 20 Bell Salute, my 20-year look back on wrestling and pop culture, exclusively on our Wrestle Addict Radio Patreon. So hey, if you want to hear that, uh, drop us five bucks. You get the 20 Bell Salute. You get you know 15% off merch. You get a first look at the Articles of War at writteninwar.wordpress.com where we got fan fictions and reviews uh, written by people. I, I don't know who these people are. Uh, Dirk Justice, uh, something Frost. I, I, I forget the names of our other authors. I'm sorry, folks. Uh, if the authors are hearing this, I, I apologize. You can definitely send me uh, hate tweets. Just DM them to me. You know, let's, let's, let's make this private. <laughs> so... We have a flying elbow smash, and Hercules is gone. Three to one, and Honky Tonk Man is all alone. There's a whole whack of DDT chance. Uh, Savages here is getting revenge for uh, for Honky Tonk Man kind of abusing Elizabeth. You know, giving her like you know, grab her by the face and throw her down on the mat. So you know, Savage wants to get his licks on here too. So Honky Tonk Man just says, "Sod it, I'm out." He gets counted out, so Macho Man, Ricky Steamboat, and Jake the Snake are your survivors. Man, that's a killer's row right there. Holy crap. I Again here, I made a, a note here of the perms and mullets. Next up here, we have the Women's Tag Team Champions, Judy Martin and Lani Kai, the Glamour Girls, tagging with Don Marie. No, not that one. Donna Cristianalo and Sensational... <clears throat> sensational Sherry, eh, I can't speak, going up against Velvet McIntyre, Rockin' Robin, the Jumping Bomb Angels, and for some reason, the Fabulous Moolah. As a babyface, I think, <laughs> in the 80s. Yeah, she was so out of place here, and I I'm not going to sit here and glorify the Fabulous Moolah. If you watched her Dark Side of the Ring you'll know how much of a piece of crap she actually was. I have no respect, nostalgia, or regard for her at all. You know, just this human trafficking slime ball of a person. And I'm not one to speak ill of the dead, but screw her. We have Ventura. Right away is fat-shaming Moolah. Oh yeah, this aged well. And uh, Ventura plugging his movie with Arnold. Like, oh yeah, I am Arnold Schwarzenegger's best friend. And this was an inside job. Yeah, his conspiracy theories, by the way, Jesse Ventura, Sideberg quickly, they're actually pretty good. I'm not saying I agree with all of them, but uh, he had an appearance on Talk is Jericho a, a number of years ago now where he talked about, you know, how he believes JFK was an inside job. And after listening to him and looking into some things, I'm like, yeah, you made some pretty fair points. Uh I'm a Canadian, so the fact that I have an opinion about this uh, might uh, confuse some of you, but I'm not going to dig too deep into this because this is not a conspiracy theory podcast. And no, I'm not going to do conspiracy theories for Patreon. So I really fast-forwarded through this match because, well, women's wrestling today, given the roster of people we have on all of the shows, I mean, Impact Wrestling with... Sue Young, Deanna Parazzo, Jordan Grace. You have NXT. Is NXT is spoiled when it comes to women's wrestling. I'm recording this on a Wednesday night. Uh, I haven't watched NXT or AEW yet. Uh, I'm recording this late at night at that because I work the late shift. You know, I'm getting ready for inventory. Those of you who work uh, retail know how much a, a pain inventory can be, but you got to do what you got to do. I work for family. It pays the bills. And you know what? I love it. Uh, shout out to anyone from from uh, my workplace listening to this, by the way. Uh, as long as you're, you know. <laughs> um, 
not working. <laughs> Get it on the floor and put out that stuff, guys. <laughs> so, Velvet McIntyre pins uh, Don Cristinalo. Rockin' Robin pins Don Marie. Again, not that one. Uh, Sensational Sherry pins Rockin' Robin. This, of course, would uh, go through their feud for the women's title. Sherry was the champion at this point in time, and I believe just a few months later at the inaugural Royal Rumble, if not the following one in 1989, uh, Rockin' Robin would defeat Sherry for the title. And, and the women's tag team titles, yes, this was a title that existed once upon a time. Yeah, Judy Martin, Lalani Kai. Lalani Kai, of course, uh, has uh, the distinct distinction um, of performing at WrestleMania 1 opposite Wendy Richter. I th was it Was it her or was it Moolah? I can't remember. Anyways, WrestleMania 1 and then WrestleMania 10, both in title matches. WrestleMania 10 losing to Alondra Blaze, a.k.a. Medusa. And after, after this match, uh, it, just, it just broke out. Your sole survivors are the Jumping Bomb Angels who would defeat the Glamour Girls for the women's tag team titles uh, shortly after this. Uh, the, the Bomb Angels, I, I didn't get their names, but I think they were two young ladies from Japan. And honestly, I think they were a little bit ahead of their time because they were doing all these crazy moves, they, all these wild, high-flying moves that if they came in just a little bit later, had this women's division been around maybe around the time of people like Rhonda Singh, you know, Bertha Fay, and uh, what, what was her, what was the uh, the other one's name? Oh, Bull Meccano. That was right. I just had to go back and and Google that. Cut that. And it's in, yeah, Itsuki Yamazaki and, ooh, I can't think of the, uh, the other, uh, the other young lady's name here. And Tateno, you know, they did a great jump rope clothesline to pin Judy Martin and win this match. This match went 20 minutes. You know, the jumping bomb angels I thought were the absolute highlights of this match. You know, Lalani Kai, Judy Martin, they were decent workers in their own right. Sensational Sherry was just coming right before her managerial role with people like Ted DiBiase and Randy Savage and Shawn Michaels. You know, she pulled her own in the ring. She was a good in-ring worker, but man, her, her best stuff was just being, you know, a great manager. You know, Harlem Heat, there's, there's another one. I believe she did... Uh, who Rick Flair and WCW? Maybe I I can't remember. But Sherry is someone who has been around and oh man, she was another one gone too soon. Yeah, just '80s wrestlers. I mean, I'm not a lot of these people. Um, not a lot of these people on this card, aside from some of these women, are are with us anymore. And that's just that that hard living lifestyle of wrestling in the '80s. And it's man, it's 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 rough. It's it's rough going back to these. And looking at all these guys, like, okay, who's on this card? Dead, 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 dead. Ugh. It's it's depressing. What's not depressing, though, to shift gears here really quickly, is this next match. This is a whole whack of tag teams. Oh, wait, after this, Noah, the Jumping Bomb Angels bump Jimmy Hart. And uh, then Jimmy Hart's all embarrassed because he got uh, beat up by a girl. Oh, no. Man, the 80s. Holy crap. Yeah, Demolition, the Islanders, the Hart Foundation, the Bolsheviks, and the Dream Team. No, not uh, Brutus Beefcake and Greg Valentine, whose autograph picture I can see there on my wall, right beside my autograph picture with the Nasty Boys, and uh, Craglin and Yondu from the Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> um, yeah, this is Dino Bravo. And and Greg the Hammer Valentine. Yeah, Valentine just replaced Beefer, I guess. And uh, they're going up against a team captained by Strike Force, the tag team champions, the British Bulldogs, the Killer Bees, the Young Stallions, uh, Paul Roma and Jim Powers. And the fabulous Rougeau brothers. Now, one ironic thing I found here is that Paul Roma tagged with 
Jim Powers. And after Powers left the Fed, he would tag with Hercules to become power and glory. Power, powers, it just works. And here, the Rougeau brothers, Ray and Jacques. Jacques is uh, someone who would go on to be the Mountie. And if you put up with me singing his entrance theme last week, I'm sorry. No, I'm actually not. The Mountie is Canadian royalty. Please stand up for the anthem of the USSR. Holy crap, this is old. I am old. Volkov and Zukov out there in the USSR, the Golden Sickle. Man, they were they were just another couple of years away from becoming Zangief from Street Fighter. Demolition come to the ring with Mr. Fuji. So this is when they were heels and their theme was pre-Rick Derringer. Here comes the axe, here comes the smasher. Same theme, just without uh, the vocals by Derringer. Yeah, Mr. Fuji, legendary ribber and prankster. I think he killed someone's dog as a prank. I mean, yeah, Big Boss Man must have been in the back taking notes for uh, a future angle with Al Snow and Pepper. <laughs> yeah, man, you think Owen Hart and Mr. Perfect were great ribbers. Spoiler alert, they were, but Mr. Fuji, my lord, just look up some of his stuff. He was weird, <laughs> but I loved him. Oh, man, he would go, he was a former several-time tag team champion back in the 70s with, uh, I think it was Mr. Saito and maybe a, f a, a few other lads. Yeah, Fuji, he, you know the whole, st the stereotypical sneaky Asian heel, uh, for lack of a better term, I'm sorry uh, for this. Um, yeah, he, he played that to a T with, you know, my Yokozuna and throwing the salt, wearing the garb. Fuji was awesome. <sighs> my goodness. Uh, the Islanders... Uh, Tama and uh, Haku, you know, Mang, the one guy in the wrestling world you do not ever want to piss off. You know, Jake the Snake Roberts was like, you know, if I ever had Mang pissed off at me, I can't do Jake. Uh, and I had a gun, I would get in a tank and shoot myself with a gun uh, because I don't want that crazy SOB mad at me. Uh, the Heart Foundation. And then, and yeah, here we had Strike Force, Rick Martel, and Tito Santana, a babyface Rick Martel, shortly before he would become the model. Yeah, the Killer Bees, Jumpin' Jim Brunzel, and the other one. They were at a, a Comic Con I was at. I was about three feet away from them, but I don't remember. B. Brian Blair. Yeah. You see, I had a hard time remembering the other guy. Yeah, I don't have any affinity for for them or the Young Stallions. But I love the Rougeos, especially their, you know, we don't like heavy metal, we don't like rock and roll, all we listen to is Barry Metal. <laughs> and, but they called themselves All-American Boys in the song. Listen to that, it's by the way. I think I sang it on the Game Changer last year when we reviewed, like, Survivor Series 89 or something. <laughs> yeah, they're from Quebec. Quebec is part of North America, but they're not All-American. Gosh. And they waved little American flags. I, I, I didn't get it. They should have just pulled La Resistance, came out with the Fleur de Lis, and started singing O Canada en Francais. You know, Terre de Noxaille. I can sing the whole thing in French, but I'm not going to now because I want to keep our listeners. <laughs> oh boy, now we're in the match here. Strike Force get an amazing pop here. The theme song that I think was literally Girls in Cars. Yeah, they... They were something else. They were good. Uh, Tito Santana hits a flying forearm to Boris Zukov, and he's eliminated almost right away. Later in the match here, Jacques goes for a running crossbody, but Axe just moves out of the way, and he's just he just pins Rujo, and they're gone. You know, Haku and Dynamite have an exchange. Oh, man. In their primes, this match between those two? Uh, check, please. At demolition get DQ'd for uh, for a ref bump here, so they're gone. And then 
Uh, Gorilla Monsoon refers to Bret Hart as the excellence of execution. And I didn't know he was getting this term this early. And I know, I heard, I think it was either on Wrestling with Shadows or one of the Hart family uh, documentaries that uh, Bret was primed for a singles push as early as about this time. And they they started calling him the hitman and the excellence of execution. And he's showing them that, oh yeah, Bret Hart's the best wrestler in the WWE. So Santana goes for a flying forearm on Anvil. He lands it, but in the middle of the count, Bret goes with a Bret's rope elbow drop from the second rope, Bret's rope. And Anvil pins Santana after that reversal. Haku pins Dynamite Kid after a nice, really nice uh, super kick. Davey versus Brett. They have uh, one of their many matches in the middle of this, which was just awesome to see. And just looking a few years into the future, you know, although 1992 Bulldog was wasted in that main event, uh, you couldn't tell when he really turned it on. But as soon as the match started, you know, that, that infamous Brett, I'm fucked. Uh, you couldn't tell. Then in 95 and in your house, December, holy crap, that match. Yeah, Haku. Uh, super kicks dynamite here. There's a really nice spot here where uh, Davy Boy goes for a delayed suplex, and then Dynamite goes with a headbutt off the top rope. And some really nice tandem moves here. Powers eats a side suplex, and then a figure four denied. Roma sunset flips. Uh, Greg Valentine and the Dream Team are gone. There is a double reversal spot here, and the Killer Bees eliminate the Heart Foundation. Boo! And B. Brian Blair somehow gets superpowers from a Killer Bee's luchador mask, hits a sunset flip on Tama, and the Killer Bees win. The Killer Bees and the Young Stallions are your sole survivors. That, out of all the teams in this match, that's a really unlikely story here, but I believe that's what they were kind of going for. Like, the Stallions and the Killer Bees were were underdogs they, they weren't enhancement talent but they were teams that whenever you saw them in a match you're like oh yeah these guys are gonna lose and right away here we're already at the main event only four or five matches here that probably go about 20 30 a piece you have andre the giant butch reed rick rude the one man gang and king kong bundy of course with slick and bobby heenan Against Hulk Hogan, Bam Bam Bigelow, Ken Patera, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff? Since when is he a babyface? And Magnificent Don The Rock Morocco, accompanied by Bammer's manager, Sir Oliver Humperdinck. Okay, listen to this. I, I got a comment on Bam Bam Bigelow's entrance theme at this. This is this is the theme song to Wrestling Challenge from the 90s. It sounds like the credits roll for Alf. I mean, it was just so not suited for Bammer, but they got to have, uh, have an entrance team for the guy, so why not? It's not as iconic as his one where he just says, Bam, Bam, followed by a bunch of beats. But yeah, that was out of nowhere. Kent Patera was in the twilight of his career. He was, I think he might have been like the second or third uh, intercontinental champion ever. Paul Orndorff, who just a year previous to this, sold out Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and wrestled Hogan in the big event. Uh, I guess he'd come back to the to the light side, or that was the first time he'd become a babyface. I don't ever remember him as a face in the WWE. And Morocco was also a guy who was in the the twilight in the in the end of his career. And it's kind of it's kind of odd here. You you look at this match, you look at Survivor Series matches in particular, and you look at where these people are at this point in time and where they'll be later. Like Butch Reed was was really young in the business here. He was a couple of years away from tagging with Ron Simmons, Farouk in the NWA as Doom. You know, Rick Rude, he had a couple more years left in him. One Man Gang would... Oh, jeez. He became Akeem. Uh, this 
white dude from New York became Akeem the African Dream from deepest, darkest Africa. Uh, yeah, that's racist. Uh, King Kong Bundy, no relation to Al Bundy, depending on, on who you ask. He was uh, he was almost out of the WWE at this point in time. You know, uh, Paul Lorndorf was was having a few year, good years left in him. And Hulk Hogan was just a few years into Hulkamania. Hulkamania was just a baby, just like I was at this point in time. And Joey Marilla, son of Gorilla Monsoon. Oh, man, that was so tragic when he passed away. Car accident. I think he slept behind the wheel. And he died in, like, 1994, I want to say. But that wrecked Monsoon. I mean, Gorilla passed away only about five years after that. So, ugh. And I wrote down here that uh, the heels here are bumping like crazy for everyone and everything, especially Rick Rude. You know, Ken Patera, he was an Olympian, an Olympic powerlifter. I believe he took place in, gosh, it would have been in the 70s, if not 1980. And he just he just reminds me of Kurt Angle because he had an Olympian take take a spot here in the wwe the past and the future collide here uh, hulk yeah I, I wrote this all down uh everyone uh, gangs up uh butch reed eats the leg drop and he is gone andre and hogan are starting to face off oh here we go this is the first time since wrestlemania 3 the slam heard around the world hogan slams andre that we saw them squaring off and it wouldn't be until a few months after this where Andre would, quote-unquote, win the WWE title. Uh, and then there's a spot here. Hulk Hogan is high-fiving people. And wait, that counts as tagging? So we're denied Hogan versus Andre for now. One Man Gang absolutely crushes Ken Patera with a, a running avalanche. It looked like a clothesline. It kind of looked like a crossbody, you know, like that... Uh, what the funk, whatever finishing crossbody move that Brodus Clay used to do. Yeah. Uh, Rick Rude rolls up Orndorff with the tights. Rock power slams Rude. One man gang splashes uh, Morocco. And here we go. We're finally here. Hogan versus Andre. We see a chop off. We see head turnbuckle spots. And then, just as this was getting underway... Bundy trips Hogan, pulls him out of the ringside. Uh, Hogan slams Bundy on the floor. He slams the one-man gang who tries to interfere. And then Hogan gets counted out. Um, what? Uh, yeah, this was so convoluted and stupid that, yeah, a wrestler on the opposite team who should have been standing on the ape on the tag rope on the apron uh, caused Hogan to be counted out and he went and reacted to them. This I think this was just the way for Hogan to lose without losing, you know, without getting, you know, his heat back or something. So Bam Bam Bigelow is down three to one against Andre the Giant, the one man gang, and King Kong Bundy. Bigelow. Bigelow, big. I, I'm. I loved Bam Bam Bigelow. That Bronson Reed tribute earlier this year at was it? It wasn't Great American Bash. It was uh, SummerSlam Takeover, whichever wh whichever one that was. And he had the flame tights. Awesome. Uh, Bronson Reed's great, great stuff. So we see a slingshot splash onto Bundy, and he's out. Very agile stuff here from from Bammer. Uh, wrestler. I think he was a little bit ahead of his time. You know, he was a big man. He was about the size of guys like Gang and Bundy, but a little smaller. Chubby, you know, like me. I could say it, fat. I'm fat. And uh, Bammer was also one that stood out because of the tattoos on his head. Ouch. And One Man Gang goes to the top rope. Oh, gosh, no. No, don't, don't. Uh, no, Splash denied. Bam Bam Bigelow pins him. And we're down to Andre versus Bigelow. Andre makes short work of of Bigelow here. Does the uh, that double underhook belly to belly suplex and pins Bigelow. And as soon as he's announced as 
the sole survivor, Hulk Hogan, comes out to ruin the day to chase off Andre because Hogan must pose, pal. Yeah, this was the Hogan must pose era where, you know, you had to send the crowds home happy. And yeah, despite Hogan losing, he parades around the ring. Da, 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 da. I am a real jackassican. And, you know, does his posing. And credits roll, and we're off here. And, you know, I really actually liked this pay-per-view. Uh, it was, I mean, it wasn't short. It was just a, a hair under three hours. I managed to get it in a th two or three watches. Normally, these are things I can sit all the way through, but because I've been working uh, late shifts, you know, getting home at like 10.30 every night this week, I'm just... Uh, no, I'll put it on whenever, and I'll just sit here, have a couple beers, and and enjoy. It, yeah, I, I liked this. You know, this really showcased, you know, guys like Bam Bam Bigelow and, you know, Steamboat. You know, Brutus Beefcake had just broken off of the Dream Team and started his babyface run. You know, Hulkamania was still relatively new. I think Hogan had been the champion for two or three years at this point in time, so... The Rock and Wrestling Connection era was en fuego. The crowd was loving everything. They were electric this entire night. And yeah, had a lot of fun. I can assume the same for Starcade that took place uh, this exact same night. Man, the absolute balls of Vince McMahon to go up against uh, the NWA. Man, that's just some good stuff here. And yeah, I'm going to take a quick commercial break here and when i come back you will get my thoughts on survivor series this year my predictions my least fave five survivor series team and my game changer of the week don't go away go grab yourself a, a snack some refreshments and come back and i will be right back <laughs> and I'm back, Mr. Fritz here. Fretzelmania Podcast, Wrestle Attic Radio, the cure for the common wrestling podcast. Let me know if you actually remember those commercials, because, oh man, I remember not knowing what wrestling was in the early 90s and seeing these all the bloody time. Ah, yeah, uh, kind of fun here. So we have this coming Sunday the 22nd of november holy crap we're almost through november Ugh, one more month to go as if 2021 is going to be any better anyways survivor series is this coming sunday and we only have a few matches announced so far i don't think we're going to get anything else uh there's still one more member of team smackdown to be uh determined and by the time you hear this uh that person will be confirmed but i'm recording this late late on a wednesday night so uh for the benefit of hindsight uh yeah so starting off here we will have the new wwe champion drew mcintyre against the universal champion roman reigns and i'm glad that we didn't get blandy borton going up against roman here a it would have been two heels the dynamics a little bit just between them is not there. Drew and Roman have a bit of a history back when the roles were reversed. Uh, thank you, beer. But yeah, they they wanted to have some something else here. And you know, I don't like Orton. I never have, so I'm glad that he's left off this. I hope he doesn't appear on the pay-per-view at all, but I have Hmm, a pretty, no, 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 he's he, he's not going to go there. Uh, Roman, I think, is, is going to win this match here, uh, probably with a little bit of shenanigans, maybe a little bit of Jey Uso, who is in this next match. 
the men's Survivor Series team, Keith Lee, AJ Styles, who uh, is the alleged captain of this, but he has about as much captaincy power as Alicia Fox did back in the day. <laughs> uh, Seamus Braun Strowman and Matt Riddle going up against Kevin Owens, Jay Uso, King Corbin, Seth Rollins, and To Be Determined. And if I can predict who that's going to be, I think it's going to be Big E. I really hope it's Big E because that man is primed and ready for a push. They split New Day up for a reason, and I hope that reason is to push him to the moon. No, not you, Cameron Grimes, although I want him pushed to the moon too. Um, this one is really hard to predict, but uh, Raw has just been all sorts of not cooperating, having matches against each other in recent weeks. And uh, although I didn't watch Raw this week, uh, they they lost to Retribution, the biggest joke faction in the history of the WWE, and that's including the Spirit Squad. Uh, man, I, I hate Retribution so much now. I love Ali, but they're nothing. They're, they're pointless. That... To, to me, Retribution's done. I, I don't see anything good for them. I don't see them even appearing on this event because I thought, had you been talking to me about Survivor Series just maybe last month, I thought that we were going to have a Retribution versus Team WWE that would have had the same stakes as like Team Alliance versus Team WWE from 2001. But instead, uh, no. SmackDown's going to win this match, I think. Uh, in the women's side, we have Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, Lacey Evans, Peyton Royce, and Lana? When did Lacey and Peyton join the team? Oh well, going up against Bianca Belair, Ruby Riot, Liv Morgan, and two more to be determined this week. And I think we're going to get um, Billy Kay and... Is Naomi back, back yet? I think Naomi. I don't even know who got drafted to SmackDown, but... I think Billy Kay and uh, Peyton Royce, they're going to have a moment in here, and this is when you'd officially kind of see one of them split. Like, I, can, I think Peyton Royce will eliminate Billy Kay, solidifying their their split here. Uh, Raw Women's Champion going up against SmackDown Women's Champion, Asuka and Sasha Banks. Uh, another champion versus champion. Yeah, th this is old. Like this Raw versus SmackDown, title versus title match stuff. This crap's getting old, uh, but I think Oscar's gonna wreck Sasha's life here. Uh, the New Day, the Raw Tag Team Champions, going up against the Street Profits. I'm picking the New Day here. Bobby Lashley, the U.S. Champion, versus Sami Zayn, the Intercontinental Champion, and somehow, somehow, I'm going to pick Sami Zayn is going to win this match. I don't know if he's going to do like try and get Bobby disqualified or if he's gonna do some ropes spot or some hijinks hijinks here maybe this is where retribution get involved and and cost Bobby the match here yeah Sa Sami Zayn's gonna win this because I, I think he needs another big win he needs a great title intercontinental title win here and this is where I think he can get it. And those are the matches that I know that we have so far. Uh, if there are any more, I'll probably tweet out my predictions just before the show. As I said, I got a busy schedule ahead of me, so you won't hear from me too much until Survivor Series. If I even watch Survivor Series, I don't know my schedule uh, solidified for Sunday quite yet because our inventory is on Tuesday. Anyways, we have what is advertised as The Undertaker's Farewell. Originally advertised as a celebration of 30 years of The Undertaker, making it a guarantee that he'll show up at the event. But now, this is the final farewell. And I don't buy that for a second. I know that, you know, if you watched his docu, that five-part docuseries on the network, which, oh my gosh, is that amazing. The, the Mortician with Paul Bear special was great. The Brothers of Destruction chat this past week was also very well done. The WWE Network is really putting this end of The Undertaker stuff over. It's 30 years of The Undertaker. 30 years. And Sunday, 
will be 30 years to the day that Taker debuted at Survivor Series. So ironically enough, this is where he'll end. And I have one of three things that I think may happen. One, we'll get a regular classy farewell with, well, kind of like what he did at WrestleMania against Roman Reigns, where he'll put down his gear and he'll ride off into the sunset. We have a former WWE champion who is not booked on this show. That man is Randy Orton. Uh, what has Randy Orton been known as in the past? A legend killer who has a storied rivalry with The Undertaker, Randy Orton. What if he does something here and it puts Taker down for good? I mean, for good, good. But I believe the only person who can actually do that is The Fiend, which would kind of... Uh, take away this babyface run that he's been on you know he just beat the Miz on Raw he's still have he still has his eyes on Randy Orton the Fiend never forgets but also you know the Bray Wyatt and the Undertaker have a past they both have these spooky-esque gimmicks what if like the Fiend erased John Cena, basically, in the Firefly Funhouse match at Mania. What if the Fiend sends Undertaker packing, because, you know, Taker's an old school guy. He's the kind of guy that would go out on his back. What if the Fiend is the reason for the Undertaker's retirement and disappearance for good in the WWE. What if? I have a sneaking feeling we're either going to have shenanigans or that this won't be Taker's last stand because, you know, at this point, Undertaker has retired as many times as Terry Funk and Ric Flair. So I think one of those three things will happen, but I'm really leaning towards just the classy put the gear down and right off into the sunset. But just, man, those two scenarios I have. The Fiend or Randy Orton. Oh, and then there's this little thing called The Miz. And I don't think he's going to cash in on Drew McIntyre at Survivor Series, but... <clears throat> excuse me. I think he's going to do it soon. And welcome now to your new favorite segment on WrestleMania Radio, Fretz's fave five where i break down my top five insert topic here or moments of the week or what have you so today is kind of a reverse fave five it's my least fave five survivor series teams over the years we have seen so so many survivor series matches and you know just like the ones i just talked about earlier about 1987 that's when it used to be solely survivor series matches and i preferred that i wish they still did that you know kind of like i talked about last week how raw versus smackdown should have stakes on the line and actually have a point to having winning the war if you if you will so here are my worst five survivor series teams Starting all this stuff here with number five. Oh, man. We have the Spirit Squad, who only took place in, thankfully, one Survivor Series team. Oh, gosh, this theme. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh man, I hate these guys so, so, so much. I don't got a problem with male cheerleaders. You do you, pal. You do you. But this was one of the worst gimmicks I've ever seen. They were obnoxious. They were annoying. I think that was the point. We were supposed to hate them because, well, 
I mean, I'm just gonna say it. For the macho, for the bro, cheerleading was not the kind of thing that the guys usually went for. I'm, I'm going back to, you know, I'm, I'm 36. So this was the mindset of me in high school. Please know that this is me, not now. But I hated the Spirit Squad. I still think they were the worst, one of the worst factions in the history of wrestling. But yeah, they took place in one elimination match in 2006, getting destroyed by Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair, Ron Simmons, and Sergeant Slaughter, accompanied by Arn Anderson. And there was talent on this team. Kenny Dykstra and Dolph Ziggler were on this. You know, Nick Mondo, Nicky. This was a hardcore guy that I think quit the business immediately after ditching this gimmick. And uh, yeah, we had Mike Mondo. You know, Nicky was, was, of course, Nick Nemeth, Dolph Ziggler, Johnny, Johnny Jetter. Like, all these guys were standouts in OVW who were actually main eventing OVW with people like Nick Dinsmore, a.k.a. Eugene. Holy, holy lord. The best thing about the Spirit Squad is when uh, Degeneration X buried them, defeated them on, on TV, sending them packing, put them in a literal packing box and just put on the sticker, send back to OVW. And the best part of that was, is that JR cracked on, on national TV about that. That was the only time OVW was mentioned on WWE TV. Oh boy. Number four. Oh man. Number four is going to hurt me just a little bit. The Mean Street Posse and the British Bulldog. In 1999, they went up against Gangrel, Mark Henry, Steve Blackman, and Val Venus, or a team that I dubbed Sexual All Sorts. <laughs> yeah, Bulldog was on his last legs here. He, he could barely go, but for some reason, after all of the Mean Street Posse got jobbed out here, Bulldog was on a killer's row, almost eliminating everybody until finally succumbing at the end of this match. He'd been the European champion again as well, but you had Bulldog, who just wasn't looking good. He was effed. He was fucked. With these sweater vest wearing preppy wieners. I mean, they were almost as big a losers as the Spirit Squad, or as I used to call them, the Sissy Squad. Yeah different time folks i'm sorry again but holy crap talk about standing out talking about not fitting in one of these things it's not like the other one of these things just doesn't but yeah bulldog and the mean street policy goes to, goes together like gin and milk So they unfortunately take my number four spot in the worst Survivor Series teams. And that hurts because I love Bulldog. I mean, he was a member of the Hart Foundation, the British Bulldogs tag team. I almost put in Team Canada from Survivor Series 97 because that had, what, Bulldog, Neidhart, Furnace, and Lafon. Only one of those guys is Canadian, and it's Furnace or Lafont. I can't remember. It was it was actually kind of kind of funny here. And eh, man, uh, my last three picks kind of all go together here. So bear with me. In 1993 and 1994, we saw two matches that somehow involved Doink the MF Clown in one way or another. I hate Doink so much. I hate Doink so much. 
So in 93, right, we were supposed to see Doink the Clown against, like, Bam Bam Bigelow and his team. That wound up being Bam Bam, the Head Shrinkers, and the Bastion Booger. Holy crap. But Matt Bourne, the original Doink the Clown, the, the heel Doink the Clown, the better version of Doink, seriously... Look at his reborn gimmick in ECW just after leaving the Fed at this point in time. It was some great, great stuff. Underrated. In the middle of filming stuff for this in 1993, uh, Matt Bourne was fired from the WWE for too many wellness violations before the wellness policy thing. So he had to be replaced by four doinks. And those four doinks were the Bushwhackers and men on a freaking mission, Mabel and Moe. And they went into one of the worst Survivor Series matches I've ever seen against the Head Trinkers, Bam Bam, and Bastion Booger. Bam Bam had no business being in that garbage of his stuff. He should have been in the main event of Survivor Series 93. And then we saw the new doink, Ray Apollo, on the Titan Tron after the match, kind of teasing uh, Bigelow and Luna. You could tell that the vignettes leading up to this and then the thing after this, something didn't add up. And that something was the new doink, Ray Apollo. And then in 94, who take my number one and two spot here, the four doinks, the Bushwhackers, and Men on the Mission took number three. One and two is 1994. Now it was Clowns or Russ, and I think they were called the King's Court. That was Doink, Dink, Pink, and Wink. You know, Doink and three little people going up against Jerry Lawler and Sleazy, Queasy, and Cheesy. Three other little people. And this was an abomination. An absolute abomination of a match. A total gong show. Total bad comedy. There was bad comedy in the last one. But, you know, because there was like a, a scooter in the ring. The, the head shrinkers were eating carcasses because Samoa. I don't know. Chicken because, I don't know, Samoa. 94 just had even worse comedy with, you know, the pies and all that. And the fact that the two stars of this match, Jerry Lawler and Doink, uh, Doink was eliminated really early in the match, and then we had to witness 10 minutes of terrible wrestling from the little folk. And then after the match, you know, the, the King's Court won, but don't know why. And then after the match, you know, once again, Doink had to get his heat back. Holy crap. Gong Show, bad, bad stuff. Survivor Series had some great stuff, but it had some bad stuff. If I can make a, re a recommend, uh, watch Survivor Series 95, namely the Underdogs versus whatever 123Kids team was, and then that amazing, amazing eight-woman elimination tag with Alundra Blaze and Aja Kong. <sighs> good, good stuff. Yeah, that'll be a palate cleanser for this crap, and I might put that on but I might also go play some Pokemon Sword and Shield because, yeah. And now I'm a game changer of the week to cap off this show. I couldn't think of anyone else. The Undertaker. I mean, 30 years to the day as Taker on, on Sunday. I mean, despite years and years in the Fed, he still found a way to remain relevant. Even for a brief period of time when he stopped dressing up like a zombie and become dressing up like like your uncle going for a motorcycle ride, you know, the American badass, the less said about that, the better, in my opinion. But, man, Taker's longevity, the respect that he has in the locker room, the years and years of great matches and... <laughs> not so great matches if you're looking in the new gen era man his legacy speaks for itself he had a wrestlemania streak that in my mind to this day should never have been broken brock lesnar shouldn't have beaten it roman reigns shouldn't have beaten it in my mind taker should have retired with the streak like 
stupid move to have Brock Lesnar break the streak. What did he do? What did he do with it? It he won the title after that, but what else? It just gave him some un, some heat. The one guy that I think that it did that it did a disservice to is Roman Reigns because Roman Reigns didn't become the tribal chief after he was like, this is my yard now. He should have done it back then, in my opinion. But yeah, Taker, game changer of the week. If this is the last we see of him, maybe until a Hall of Fame ceremony when, you know, crowds can happen. God knows when that's going to be. <sighs> yeah, so yeah, Undertaker is my game changer of the week. Hey, if you have suggestions for not only my fave five, but hey, someone who you think should be a game changer of the week, please, 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 please tweet me at Fretzelmania, F-R-E-T-Z-L-E Mania. Listen to all of us on Wrestle Attic Radio, the Kings of the Rings podcast, the Delight Show, and the YLP, Young Lions Perspective with, with Zach. And yes, folks, that is it for this version of Fretzelmania. Next week, I will be talking about uh, reviewing Survivor Series 2020, amongst other things. Maybe I can start getting caught up on the rest of my network specials. Maybe even get caught up on Raw, SmackDown, Dynamite, NXT, <laughs> and, and, and we shall see. So, thanks very much. And remember, listen to us, all of us here on Russell Attic Radio, the cure for the common wrestling podcast. TTFN, ta-ta for now.